Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. This week, my guest is Naive Reynoso. Naive is a Mexican-American Emmy and AP award-winning journalist, CEO and founder of Contodo Press, and she's also the co-founder of Latina Fest, an annual celebration of all things Latina. She is passionate about promoting women, the Latinx community, and people of color, which led her to create her own publishing company. Her mission is to keep producing children's books told from an authentic and relatable perspective that will bridge the gap between communities of color and media. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the cheese smell. Naive, thank you so Hola. much for joining me today for some wine and chisme. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing good. It's uh, it's a good day. It's been a busy day. I'm a stay-at-home mom and a business entrepreneur, so I've been juggling both of those things. Uh, you know, with the COVID, now we have to be uh, homeschooling, so it's been a busy day. <laughs> well, I think entrepreneur is underselling everything that you do. We'll, talk, <laughs> and we'll definitely get into that, but before we get into the chisme, we always go to the wine, and I am drinking, this is the first time I've drank this wine, so I haven't even tasted it. I'm waiting for this. This is a, Slo a wine from Slovenia. Let me show you this. Oh, wow. Bottle. So the bottles nice. come in like one liter bottles, not a traditional mm -hmm. wine bottle. I am going to, it's to a 2018 vintage. I am going to attempt to pronounce it, but I'm sure I'm butchering this. It is a Krunko Harenkin. I have no idea how to say that last word. <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to get impressed. Right, right. I, like I was it, trying to sell. I'm like, wow, she actually knows, you know, and then I really, right. I really <laughs> tried. I even looked it up to see how I could pronounce it, and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> but it's a white wine blend. Like I said, it's from Slo Slovenia, and it's the eastern side. It says it's north of Maribor, just south of the Austrian border. So oh, from wow. when I... Yeah, so when I picked it up, he said that people who kind of like Sauvignon Blancs may find this wine interesting. It's a blend of two types of Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc and a Chardonnay. So Nice. Yeah, so let's see, because I'm not a big sweets fan, so I know it has like a pretty acidic taste from what I told. Oh, that is good. And I smell, I'm wow. trying, like I got a really distinct smell when I was about to drink it. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying, I know what that smell is, but... I can't put it together right now, but I know I know that smell. And I watch it's gonna be like random in the middle. Oh, I know. 
<laughs> you know, I'm always impressed by people that know if it's like chocolate or, you know, like they colmillos or the, you know, it's like, or I don't know, cumin. <laughs> it's always so interesting how sommeliers, like they develop that, that those taste buds, right? Yes, no, totally. And I, well, I will say when it has like caram, like if it's like notes of caramel and chocolate or even like grapefruit, because those mm -hmm. are things that I don't like, I pick up mm -hmm. on those right away. Oh, wow. I don't, I know I'm a weirdo. I don't like chocolate, <laughs> caramel, Nutella is like, I don't like hazelnut. So I don't oh, wow. like there will not, if I, if I ever have kids, um, if it's my choice, there will never be Nutella in the house because the smell of it just grosses me out. <laughs> You're saving all your calories for the wine. All yes. the calories that chocolate and Nutella have, you're saving it for the wine, right? So much better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now that we got to the wine, it's obviously time to get into the cheese. May you're not joining with the wine today, but I mean, you have so many things going on. I totally get that. I'm really excited to have you here and, and talk about the many projects you have going but before we're actually getting to like con todo press and all of that i want to really know about the journey on how you got there so you are a mexican american woman living in los angeles is that like where you grew up and if you're first generation in particular and you can tell me if you are or not there's like this hustle mindset that you have that's mm -hmm. kind of developed really early from when you grow up. So do you think that mindset of, that you developed growing up, it has had an impact? Like, is that where you kind of had that hustle mindset start setting in? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It's, I just feel like also being um, Mexican, our people have so, so such a good work ethic. You know, they are hustlers. I've, and I've seen my entire family from my mom's side, my dad's side, my grandparents, like totally hustle. My, my grandmother and, and grandfather, they had a little store in Mexico and they would work all day long, um, you know, without breaks, without taking any days off. So yeah, you just kind of see that as, as that's just the way it is. But I also saw that or, or felt an experience that that hustle brought me joy. It just, it just brings me joy. It makes me feel like when I'm hustling, I'm, I'm being active. I'm participating in, in the world. I'm um, exercising my creativity. So to me, it, it's just a lifestyle and I can't, I don't think I will ever stop. Um, I mean, I could see myself as a viejita, like still hustling, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So when you look back at your childhood, what kind of kid, like I look back at my childhood and I'm like, I know I was a really precocious kid. I was somebody who, and this definitely bled into my adulthood who would never stop talking, who always wanted to know everything. But when you look back at your childhood, what kind of kid do you, do you think you were and do you think other people would agree with that? I, I definitely was precocious. I, I stood up for myself. I did things that were out of the box. I was a tomboy. And for and I'll give you an example of how I stood up for myself and how I would think outside of the box. My uncle owns a restaurant in, um, in Arizona, a really famous restaurant in Arizona, Casa Reynoso. And um, I remember, like, he, he, speaking about that worth ethic, 
work ethic. He would, all of his kids worked at the restaurant, you know, and every time it, it was kind of like a, a joke that every time we would go visit my aunt and uncle, he would put us to work. Cause he, he was just like, here, here's a broom, go wait tables. And then, and we were all young. So I remember one time I remember thinking like, oh no, he is not going to put me to work because I didn't, this is my vacation. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be here to work. So I was kind of ready to stand up to him. Um, so he's like, okay, here's a broom. Like you can, bro you know, you can sweep the, the front of the restaurant. I'm like, nope, I did not come to work. <laughs> this is my vacation. And I, looking back, I'm like, oh my God, no one would stand up to him because he was such a, he, he was like this real, or he is a very powerful, like forceful man. And that's why he grew his restaurant to be so successful because of that, right? Everyone is scared of him, but not little eight-year-old me. Little eight-year-old me like stood up to him. So I was, uh, I remember that. And I'm so proud of that because I think it's, it's cool to stand up for yourself, right? So those are types of things like the more you do it even as a kid um, the more you can kind of do that as an adult so that that's one example um, another example is when I when we would go to Mexico I remember I would stock up on 99 cent store stickers and erasers and pencils <laughs> and I would sell them in a little town that we would go visit my abuelita like I would be hey look at this beautiful sticker don't you want it for <laughs> you know or and I and I <laughs> and it was so funny because I was little too I was like nine years old or ten no one told me to do that I don't know how I came up with the idea but I I would literally every summer I would buy I would sell stuff and um I remember a parent came and like telling my mom your daughter took the money away from my daughter. And, and then I was like, I didn't, you know, she bought this lips, lip gloss from you, your daughter. And I'm like, well, I sold it to her. It was like fair and square. So, but I, I didn't realize like at the time how young we were all, all, all of us were like, I was so young to be selling and the kids that I was selling to were young, but I don't know. It, it was just a lot of fun. It was kind of like having my own lemonade stand, but instead of lemonade, I didn't, you know, I had stickers and lip gloss and all kinds of fun stuff. So, you know, those are two examples of how I was as a little girl. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love that you were just, you had the little hustle thing, bring stuff over and start selling them. I would exactly. sell stuff, but it was always like for fundraising to pay for oh, things, right? For, to pay right. for my cheerleading uniform, to pay for cheer camp, to like stuff like that, because it wasn't like we really had the money to do those things. So right. I hustled to make sure like I could do, if I wanted to do it, I could get it done. So I understand like right. using what you got to sell what you have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I imagine that's something that followed you all through your schooling. And eventually you go to UCLA, which I joke is like the holy grail of Latino parents, like for universities, <laughs> they want their kid to go to UCLA. Like you do that and 
that's it. You're done. You've done your job. <laughs> I know. It's like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's so funny because people are like, yes, yes. Like their parents always, that's where they wanted them to go. How were your parents like in regards to your journey to be able to go to college? Were that Was that something that they really pushed you or was that something you kind of pushed yourself to do or was it a combo? Um, it was a combination. My mom definitely, definitely always, like from day one, from from as little as I can remember or as little as I was, like I remember her telling me, tienes que ir a la universidad, tienes que estudiar para, para ir a, a la universidad. You have to study in order to go to college. You have to study to go to college. So she never really emphasized the the part of being a domesticated woman. So she never really made us like cook or like wash our clothes or anything like that because she really wanted us to to use that time to study to read she would take us to the library so much so now in my adulthood I'm I'm like I don't like to cook I don't like to clean <laughs> but I'm I'm learning because I am married and anyway so going back to uh who pushed who so yeah she she definitely you know she she only went up to like third or fourth grade so she didn't really she couldn't really help me with like college essays or applications or financial aid or any of that because she was was learning English herself and navigating living here in the United States um, you know from a different language or the language barrier so I was the one that really pushed that and hustled that and I remember I would ask for help for my essays and and my cousin luckily had gone to UCLA, so I asked her for help. Um, so my mom gave me more of that moral support and that that cheerleading mentality of like, "Come on, me, how you could do it? Apply, blah blah blah." And I, and, but I also did my part in filling out the application, making sure I had good grades, making sure that I uh, did participate in extracurricular activities to better my chances. And I was accepted and. Actually, UCLA is really close to my where I grew up, my mom's house. It's only like a 25, 20 to 25 minute drive. So even though I went to UCLA, my mom was really close. And um, but yeah, it was it was a great, great uh, experience. And in LA time, 20 to 25 minutes is very close. Anywhere else very people close. be like, that's so far. No, in <laughs> LA, that is really close. <laughs> Well, let me put it to you this way. I walked from UCLA to my house once. It took me a long time. Oh, wow. A few but... hours. But I walked. So that's how, if you can kind of get a mental picture, it's, it's not too far. Yeah. So what I find interesting is because you are, you know, you're a journalist, you've done all of these things, but you didn't even study journalism when you went to UCLA. You got your degree in sociology with an emphasis in psychology and Chicano studies. <laughs> Let me actually ask you two questions. Like, what was your first job after when you graduated? And at what point was it in school or was it after you graduated that you decided you wanted to move into journalism? So I didn't know. It was like one of my biggest existential issues ever when I was in, at UCLA because I had no idea at all, no clue what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, what I wanted my career to be. So. Basically, my senior year of college, I was like, okay, I'm going to graduate. What am I going to do? Like, I don't know what I want. 
I don't know what I want to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to go into medicine or science or math because I'm not just, I'm just not good at that. And I knew I didn't want to like go into law school or anything like that. So what I did was I, I just finally had a, a heart to heart with myself. And I said, okay, if I could do anything, like, let me just think big. Let me, let me, if I could do anything in the world, what would I do? And I, and I was like, I would like to be in entertainment whether it was working as a writer or not acting because I never had that bug but like working as a writer or as a director or writing movies so that was kind of like the first little insight I had um, but then I, I applied for an internship at Univision because it was the summer before my senior year and I got the internship at Univision so then that's when the whole journalism started to like flourish the 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 passion for journalism started to flourish. But when I graduated from UCLA, the very first job I had was actually at Warner Brothers. I was a production assistant for two years there. And then after working at Warner Brothers for two years, I was offered a job at, um, at a local TV station from my friends that I had made and from the contacts I had made at Univision. From that internship, they, you know, that's how that connection happened. So that's how kind of my career started. So did you have, once you were able, once you got into that, which is so crazy because I have a lot of friends who are in journalism as well, who are local news. And, and actually now I do have a friend who's with the Univision, like out of Miami and everything. But it's so funny, like how their thing, because it was really, truly, I think so much has changed, right? It's very hard to break in now if you don't have reels and if you don't have all these internships like where you're doing mm -hmm. those types of things. So what was your first actual like job in journalism? Once you're done with that, you decided to go into journalism because I know you were at several, got to be in LA, Arizona, Colorado. You got to do kind of those things. So what was your first kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm here, I've made it, I'm, I'm doing news. And then so, was it a headlights moment? Like, oh crap, I'm really here. <laughs> so my very first, like, I guess, journalist, journalism job was on the air, was for Channel 22 here in Los Angeles, which is an independent TV station. And it was for entertainment, the entertainment anchor. And um, because I had, you know, I had mentioned that I, had had an internship at Univision, so I met producers there. I, you know, I had supervisors there. Those supervisors and producers eventually got jobs at Channel 22 because they were starting a newscast. So they, that's when they called me over because they remembered me in that I was a hard worker or that I was a hustler. So they called me to work uh, as a production assistant with them, and then I'm the one that asked for on air job. I mean, just like that. I'm like, Hey, I would really, I know I'm, I'm working as a, in production, but I really would like to do entertainment reporting. Like, just like that, you know, just like the same way that I told my uncle, Hey, I don't want to sweep. I came here for a vacation. That's the same attitude I had with them. Like, Hey, I don't want to be production. I want to be on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they, they said no, the first time they hired somebody else for entertainment somehow some way I don't know why she left and they hired another person she left and then they finally after the third after like the third person they they said fine give it a try and they took a big risk with me because my Spanish wasn't the best because I was born and raised here so I didn't have the best Spanish 
um, but they took a risk and it was, I, it was a good run. I think I was on the air with them for three years before I decided to move on or, or maybe even longer, four years to move on into doing English because that was Spanish. And then that's when I moved to Arizona. So that was my first on-air opportunity and experience at Channel 22 here in Los Angeles. So I've had that experience because I was born and raised here, born and raised in San Diego. My parents' first language was Spanish, but when they were little, they would always get in trouble for speaking Spanish. So they made sure that we spoke English. So my Spanish is still something I'm constantly working on, still something because it's not perfect. Obviously, when you're speaking it for work and everything, it improves. Mm -hmm. What was, did you ever have a moment on air where you're like, holy crap, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> and yeah. how did you handle that? Oh, my God. Well, luckily, for, for the Spanish, luckily, it was, a, it, it was live when I presented, right? Um, but the, the package, I would write it out. I would, voice, I would voice it. I would have my supervisor read it before I voiced it. So there was a lot of prep right before I went on the air. And then on the air, we did have teleprompter, so that was good. Um, so I, I, I could just read my intros and the teleprompter. There was moments of improvisation, but, you know, they, I never really had a moment of, like, that I did some, that I said something wrong or anything. It was just, luckily, the, the times that I was live were very short. And like I said, it was on the teleprompter, and um, I think I was also careful not to be overextend my conversations at the news desk on live <laughs> television because I knew my limitations. So. <laughs> so luckily, I don't remember having any kind of moment where I, I forgot how to say a word, but it was great. It was a great experience. So you've had the opportunity to work with so many different networks, regional, national, even international in English and Spanish, what has been some of your most memorable, like what is maybe on top one or two memorable moment in all of the things that you did? So I would say definitely one of the most memorable moments was in 2003 when I co-hosted The View with Barbara Walters for two days. That was incredible. They flew me out to New York. I, I sat literally right next to Barbara Walters and, and the whole crew from The View so that was a memorable moment. Another memorable moment was covering the elections. That was really for France 24. You know, I covered, that's an international news network. So I, I covered the debates. I got to interview a lot of the big players um, for the elections. And it was just, it, was, it just felt good to be in the middle of, of all of that in, in the eye of the storm, so to speak. And it was such a controversial election and, and all of that. So that experience was very memorable but ironically enough I I just in a way I feel like I've I kind of quit all of that it, it takes so much energy it takes so much I mean like the the journalists that you see out there on the field it's not easy um, they make it seem easy but it takes it, it's literally a lifestyle I mean you're traveling you don't see your you don't have regular hours it takes a lot out of you and after I started Contolo Press in 2018, I, I literally gave up most of my journalism jobs because, you know, journalism isn't a career that pays a whole lot of money. So 
it, it's uh, unless you're on a top network. I mean, then you could get paid millions and millions of dollars. That wasn't the case with me. I was always, I chose to be freelance to have more flexibility with family and all of that. So I was never really, you know, one of those network million dollar paid anchors or anything. So I just decided to scale back on all of that work, even though it was exciting because the Contodo Press journey is much more my purpose, much more fulfilling. And as on, as an entrepreneur, you do have to give it your all. And I couldn't give it my all and do journalism at the same time because it just, like I said, it really takes almost all, all of your soul, all of your effort out of you. Yeah, to answer your question, those, <laughs> those are the two memories. That, That's awesome. Did yeah. that Now, was that something you had to apply for for the viewer? Did they come to you? So I, I applied in 20, in 2003, Lisa Ling, who was a young, uh, I don't I know remember, if you remember her, yeah. she was a co-host, she left, and then they were looking for a new co-host, so they, they had this competition. I remember, because then yeah. I, that's when Elizabeth Hasselbeck, and they like, right. thing. I was so disappointed, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> I was so disappointed because I do remember watching all of them. So I'm sure I probably remember seeing you like, or not remember, but I'm sure I like saw you. And I was so like excited to see like there was you. And I think there was Rachel were two Latinas that they had brought on Rachel who used to be on um, oh, right, right, the real right. world. And right. when they brought on Elizabeth, I was so mad. I think I sent an email to the view, to the producers at the view saying, wow. can we get some La Latino representation? Because there was nothing, yeah. and I was so upset. Right, so I definitely well, remember that time. <laughs> well, actually, Elizabeth, she she went on right after me, so or right before me. When I think right after me, so it was because I remember she was either the the co-host right after me or right before me. So yeah, you know, it is what it is, and like if like they say if they don't invite you to the table you build your own and i feel like i've found my voice with my publishing company and i and i'm reaching the exact people that i want to reach with the voice and what i'm saying with my books so it, you know everything is all part of the journey i i appreciate the opportunity that they gave me but i definitely feel like there needs to be more latinas in mainstream media definitely yeah. Well, you literally built the table because in 2016, <laughs> you created the Trend Talk Show where you, you know, you co-host with uh, and talking about like everything, everything right. that's happening in day to day right. and, and everything. So you literally were like, <laughs> okay. And then two years later, first of all, I, you really talked about why it's important to do that. So not only do you do that in 2016, then 2018, you found Contodo Press. And right. it's like, you have, you know, and that's when you said you kind of started giving up the more the journalistic stuff to really do this. And I really appreciated what your um, vision is for that. And I actually want to read what your why is, because I think this is so important. And when I asked what your why is, this is what you said. You said, I created Contodo Press in 2018 to amplify the voices of underrepresented communities. Contodo Press publishes books that reflect a more balanced representation of women, Latinos, and people of color. Our first book, Be Bold, Be Brave, 11 Latinos Who Made U.S. History, highlights 11 women who excelled in medicine, science, sports, the arts, journalism, and politics. 
our upcoming titles will also, and then you're talking about your upcoming titles, which I did yeah. get an example of as well. But our mission is to keep producing books told from an authentic and relatable perspective that will bridge the gap between communities of color and media. Mm -hmm. I think that is so important. And honestly, that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast as well is because I really wanted to amplify stories, whether it's entrepreneurial stories or, or not, we all have a story to tell. It's just finding those stories. And to be able to have that, you know, a few years ago and saying, this is what I want to do. And it almost feels like your entire career has been built for this. Tell me beyond what I've just stated, what was the push? Like at what point did you, did you say, you know what, there needs to be more. I need to do something. I'm the one to do this. I, you know, and I'm going to do this. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was a perfect storm because I told you that I covered the elections, right? Yeah. Um, the presidential elections. And I, I mean, the, the moment really of clarity for me was when Donald Trump called Mexicans or, or immigrants, all those horrible things. Those words still hurt in my heart. Yeah. Like literally they, they still hurt. Um, when he said that, I was like, Oh no, like, no, this, this is not the messaging that our children deserve and that they're going to absorb because children don't have, they don't know how to filter messages that are out there, like messages that are out there, especially coming from a, a president or at the time he was a candidate, they, they're out there in the air. They're in, they're in the energy. I mean, I really believe in that. So I wanted to create something that Latino children could feel proud of and could see themselves reflected in a more positive way. Right. Because I'm, yeah. And because I'm a mom, I'm more sensitive to, you know, the, the children and like what they're hearing and how they see themselves in America. Um, I have a son and I have a daughter and my son loves to, to read biographies and he's read, he's only seven, but he's like read the little tiny kid version biographies of Steve Jobs, of Oprah Winfrey, of Rosa Parks. And when I was trying to find more of Latinos, because as he's a, obviously a Latino, I want him to be proud of his community. I didn't find books, many books. I think there was only, you know, one about Cesar Chavez. That's the only one I remember, to be honest with you, uh, from their collection of this one type of book that, that's out there that's biographical. So that's kind of those two things merged. And I said, I have to create something. So moms that are looking for biographies of their own community could find them. And not only that, but so other communities, it doesn't have to be Latinos. I want other communities to see what we've contributed to this country and how we've been part of uh, the fabric of the United States. So that's basically how it all came together. How hard was it to be able to really, okay, I'm sure you've had contacts to be able to help to add, to reach out to, based on your job history and, and how long you've been in the industry. But just publishing is kind of as I would imagine, I'm not a publisher, it's, I would imagine very completely different from TV and news. So how do you use what you've done to kind of pivot a totally different industry? So I had no contacts in publishing at all, like zero, not one. But I didn't go the traditional publishing route. I started my own publishing company. So basically everything I learned in journalism is 
writing, how to create captivating stories, how to create headlines, how to market your stories, how to sell your stories. And when I say, say sell, that's part of marketing. I mean, part of the success of, because I, I feel like Contola Press has been successful and part of it has been like, you can have a good product, but you need to know how to market it. So people will find out about it and know about it. So the, the word spreads, right? And the, the right people that are meant to read the books get to see them and get to know about them. And when you're working in news, basically that's the same principle of when you do a, a teaser, when you, I don't know, the headline, um, you have to sell your story so people will not leave during commercials. Like coming up, a lady, blah, blah, blah. Like those types of snippets of like headlines keep you interested. So that's kind of marketing. Um, me as a journalist writing stories about my community that are um, emotionally driven, that helps me kind of create a framework of how I'm going to write the stories. And as a journalist, one of the things that I was passionate about is highlighting my community. And that's what I do with the, my book. So yeah, I, I feel everything that I did learn as a journalist, every, a lot of people say that things happen for a reason. And I've, I was in journalism for so long. I started actually um, one experience that I didn't even share was that uh, I, I had an opportunity before I was on the news to, to be a host for a kid's television show. So I was already telling stories for kids before I was a journalist. So all of that came together and it's definitely helped me with all the skills of, of writing and of telling compelling stories to create these books. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that I'm not hoping I will and I am already creating more and more books to just keep the legacy going. And your books are bilingual, so they're English and Spanish. Yes. Um, I feel like I already know the importance of that, but what is the importance of really having those stories told in both languages? A couple of reasons. Um, one of the most principal reasons is so that since these books, although they're intended for every child, not just Latinos, because I think every child should learn about the different communities that they, they're surrounded. I think Latino kids, a lot of them, their parents speak Spanish, their grandparents speak Spanish, and I want them to see the Spanish words and for them to feel pride and for them to feel like there was a moment in our history where parents were embarrassed to show their kids Spanish or they didn't want them to learn Spanish because they felt like they were going to see they were going to be seen as less than if they spoke Spanish or if they had an accent. So there was a time where Spanish was being not taught and not passed on, right? And not something you were proud of. So I want kids to, even if they don't speak Spanish, like for them to just see that it's there, that the, the words are there and to feel pride um, about that. And then secondly, I do think that we should keep passing on the language from generation to generation um, because it's such a it is such a beautiful language all you know most countries of the world speak multiple languages so why not speak Spanish and thirdly it's a book that abuelita or a grandparent that maybe doesn't speak uh, or read in English can read to their grandkids so there was those were the reasons um, that I did it in a you know bilingually and also I wanted these to, to be resources for a lot of bilingual and, and Spanish immersion schools that are growing in numbers here on the West Coast. There is so little bilingual books out there. And why not provide more and provide books that are not only bilingual, but that are educational and that, 
you know, talk about history of the United States and highlight our community. I mean, it's something that if you're learning Spanish, even if you're not a child, but it's a perfect thing to be able to start learning Spanish and having a book there and not feeling like that you can do it with your kids, right? I think that when that was honestly one of the other things that I thought about when I got a sample of the book to read and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like this is so great. <laughs> if you're trying to learn Spanish or even trying to brush up on your Spanish and you want to be able to, you know, share this with your kids, this is such a great book. Like these types of books are so great. You have um, two books and a, a, like a larger size book, a board book, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, well, these two are the big books, and then I have a, a smaller board book, which is meant, it's basically, the board book is a baby version of Beagle Oh, uh, okay, okay. Gotcha, and it's like, gotcha. it's like this big, and it's really uh, thick, meant for the little hands that like to bite and rip and tear, and... Um, <laughs> because they do. <laughs> yeah, so that one is has a, a little more simplified text. So that way, some parents can can read it a little faster to their little ones. <laughs> Do you foresee working with any additional authors to be able oh, yeah. to put out there? Yes. Is, is that do. something you're in the process of? Yeah, I have two authors that I'm working with right now, besides myself. Yeah. I mean, because you're the one who's been reading, like writing these books and it's awesome. And I know that you said one of your goals is to really amplify the voices. So it's so important, especially that everything that's come to light as of recently within the publishing world Mm -hmm. to be able to have our voices heard like from, by, and for is so, so important. So I need to also ask you about, because you also have, and you've also launched Latina Fest. Oh my gosh, like seriously, you are so busy. Now let's just recap for everybody what you have. You have created a talk show, the Trend Talk Show. You have a publishing house. And now you do, and you have this events portion of your company, which does Latina Fest and does all of these different events. How did Latina Fest come to be after all of this? Because that was like the last thing that you added, correct? Correct. And I literally recently left the trend talk because I co-created it with, with Bell Hernandez. Bell Hernandez is my business partner for Latina Fest and her and I created it along with her husband, the trend talk, because we, we did see that void in Latina voices and mainstream media. But like I said, I am only one person and I just needed to scale back on all of the other, plus I'm a mom you know, <laughs> so I needed a scale back. So I kind of just left her the show um, actually recently. So now I'm not, in, I'm not doing the show anymore. She's still doing it. And she found an, another co-host, which, which is great. Cause I do want it to keep going, but the, the publishing company takes up so much of my time, but Latina Fest was created because Belle and I saw and met so many wonderful women on the show that we interviewed, just like you interviewed, you know, entrepreneurs, we interviewed so many Latina celebrities, entrepreneurs, etc. And we felt like there was a need to, to give them more exposure, especially small business owners that, you know, Latinas are the fastest growing business owners in the country. Yeah. We, we, um, we open, we are opening more businesses than any other segment of the population but we don't have a lot of support. We're growing so fast as far as like how many women are opening businesses. 
we're like trying to catch up to everyone else, right? So there's a lot of resources that fall through the information that we don't know about or we don't have access to or we don't have the mentors in place. So we created um, Latina Fest so we can use tools to promote small business owners. And, and the, big, the biggest one is the uh, live event, the live festival that we have every summer. Unfortunately, because of COVID, it had to be canceled this year. But it, it's a beautiful event where um, you see like over 100 Latina business owners with their tables and all of their products. And, and there are all kinds of different business owners, um, ranging from therapists to cleaning services to clothing lines to arts. It's just any type of business or to jewelry, any type of business you can imagine, you can, you'll find it at Latina Fest. And then we have inspirational speakers on stage. We have food. And it's just, we call it like a celebration of all things Latina. Um, but we continue to promote, even if we're not doing a, an in-person event this year, we still continue to do things to promote, such as interviewing them on our IG, on our Instagram at Latina Fest. We have 23.4 thousand followers. So we, we leverage that to further you know, support and, and promote these Latina vendors. We put them on our website with links to their shops. We're going to do a virtual pop-up. So we do other things to help promote now that we can't really do it in person. And, and after Latina Fest, or not after, but we, we didn't just have the Latina Fest. We also had other events throughout the year that were smaller, more intimate, but more focused. So Latina Fest is just an overall like celebration of all things Latina. And then we had like one event that would focus on growing your business, another event that focused on empowering your mind, another focused on mind, body, and soul, because every Latina has different needs, right? We're not just all the same. Some of us need a little more business acumen. Some of us need a little more tender, loving care. Some of us (laughs) need, you know, a little more like a mind, body, soul therapy. So yeah, we, we are, we're trying to find ways to transform and pivot that platform because of now we can't really like I said do in-person events yeah and I have the fortune to be able to go to Latina <gasps> Fest really yeah oh my I, went, I went with um Pam Cafe Con Pam. Oh. Uh, Pam and I are neighbors she lives like three blocks away from me Wow. So um, we drove up together. We had so much fun. It was really hot. <laughs> I know. So speaking of that, after this COVID thing is over, I already talked to Belle, we're going to change it to a cooler month because it, you know, the first it, it's, yeah, it was way, way too hot. And um, we felt really bad. We can't obviously control the sun or the heat, but we can control when we, we have the festival. So we're, we're going to change it because August is just way too hot. So yeah, so it won't be hot next time you go. But, we, but you hey, go. that didn't stop anybody from going. There was <laughs> people there, that is for sure. And it was so much fun. So okay. now I want to ask you, what about your support system? Because you're an entrepreneur, you're a wife, you're a mother. You're basically like an overall total chingona. Um, oh. What what has been your biggest support to help get this done? Because this is a lot to do no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or whatever. This is a lot to do. So what is your support system to be able to do all of these things? I have to hand it to my husband. He 
you know, luckily he has like a more stable job where I don't, I had the luxury of being able to scale back on my freelance jobs. You know, I had the luxury of, you know, before I met him, I was a single mom and I had to pay rent all by myself and make sure how, you know, I paid the babysitter and, and I wouldn't have had the luxury to scale back on those jobs to pursue a passion. But my husband really gives me a lot of support in that sense where it's okay if I scale back and I don't contribute as much to the household. He sees my, my vision. He sees my passion. You know, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm no Martha Stewart as far as like having a, the perfect dinners and the perfect house that's clean all the time. And, and he supports me in that where he cooks a lot too, and he cleans a lot. So I don't have that pressure too much of, of, of also being, you know, doing everything, cooking, cleaning, you know, <laughs> um, we, we share that some days he cooks, some days I cook, some, some days we both cook. But I think definitely my husband has been such a support and I don't give him enough credit, but he, he, he's been a big support. And I think friends of mine where I'm, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and especially when you have a home office where you don't have colleagues or to, to talk to, I kind of vent with my friends. You know, there's a couple of really close friends that I have, like Fernanda Kelly. She uh, amazing. She has her own shop and she was at Latina Fest. Her shop is Nitak, not your average typical queen. And because she's an entrepreneur as well, we share similar frustrations. Um, and I think it's so important as an entrepreneur to have that friend, that buddy that you can vent with that relates, that can relate. Because yeah, like we'll have venting sessions and I'll like leave her a message about like, look, I'm just venting, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then she'll do the same with me. So yeah, those two, having friends that you can vent with and share your journey and like a supportive husband has been just the thing that's made a difference. What do you hope your kids get from watching you? Like, what is the thing, like when they walk away and they talk about you, what is the one thing that you hope comes out of their mouth more than anything else? I mean, I hope that they realize that what I'm doing, because they see, they see how much I, I, how hard I work on this. I'm on the computer all the time and right next to them. And I hope that they see that their mom, you know, really hustled for a purpose. Like my hustle is for a purpose. My passion is for a purpose. And I think when you do it with purpose, it just brings you joy overall. Um, And I hope that they model that. I hope that they pursue things that give them joy, that give them passion, that have purpose. So that's what I hope that they get out of it. That's, I think in life, that's the key to happiness, doing something that passion that's your passion that has purpose and that pays (laughs) (laughs) i like that passion purpose pays yeah (laughs) that's those are the three um so before i go into the questions that i always ask everybody what are your social handles where people can follow you and we'll make sure that they're included in the show notes as well so you can follow me at contodo press and you can also follow me at naive reynoso and now, what do you, now these are the questions I ask everybody. So we're at the tail end. Okay. <laughs> what do you wish you would have known when you started out? Whatever that means to you, what do you wish you would have known when you started out? Um, I, I think what I wish I would have known is that 
this is going to sound weird, but you just the, the blanket statement of really believing you're okay, because this journey, not so much the publishing journey, because I think I'm I'm more like they say, tengo más colmillo, like I have more experience and I have a, a thicker skin now, you know, in my 40s, I have such thick skin now. But like when you're, when you're, when I remember back when I was a journalist throughout my career, I had so many people being critical about me or being harsh towards me, not believing in me, talking about me. And a lot of times I absorbed that and I believed it and I, you know, I would be tortured by it. So I wish back then I would have known you're okay. You know, I, sometimes I questioned, am I a good person? Am I like, why are they talking about me? Am I just an awkward person? Am I, am I a bad person? Like, and, and I'm just saying in different stages, I'm not saying, you know, and right. I think this happens to all, all of us, Absolutely. all of us at some point we are criticized, we're talked about, we're this or we're that. But when you're a journalist, you're out there more exposed because you're, you know, you're out there in the public eye and, and, and you have bosses that can criticize you because you are on camera. But like, I wish I wouldn't have been so harsh on myself and just told myself, Naive, you're okay. You know, as long as you're a good person, that's all that matters. You're okay. So yeah, that's the main thing. And I know it's very simple, but it's not an easy concept to really accept and believe. Yeah, no, totally. Sometimes it's, you know, the simple things that are the hardest things, right? <laughs> what right. are you curious about right now? When COVID is going to end. Does that count? <laughs> I think that every day I'm so done. So done. <laughs> um, what is something that you've failed at? Failure is kind of a propeller to greater things. So what is the, what is something that you feel like you failed at that has helped push you forward? God, well, I mean, I, I have a lot of fail, many failures. You know, I, I think as a mom, I'm really hard on myself and I feel like I've, because I'm so driven um, and because I was never, I never had that domesticated gene in me. Um, sometimes I feel like I fail as a mom all the time, you know, like my son, oh my God, he hasn't had a proper lunch today or I maybe talk to him a little harshly because he didn't finish his homework. Um, my, my daughter's a teenager and it's a tough stage. So, so I kind of feel like I'm always, I always have many failures with them, but I try to not be so hard on myself. But I also, whenever I feel like I'm failing, because I think failing in business and in, in my career and all of that, I, I, I honestly do believe in the fact that failures are part of it. And it's, it's a kind of like fail, 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 fail. So you can learn, fail fast. So you can, but I think in the personal aspect, that's when it's a little tougher because those kinds of things, when you're juggling entrepreneurship and motherhood, and I, I always feel like I'm failing as, as like the perfect mom or, you know, the, the perfect wife. Um, but I, I do the best I can. <laughs> and I try to like, listen to that voice of like, okay, why am I feeling this way? And how can I make up for that feeling of like, maybe I, I wasn't the best mom today because today I was absorbed with work. So I've had, I failed as a mom today because today, like I said, I was buried in my computer. So then it's like, okay, let me consciously 
make time to play with my son or, or color with him or do something else so I can make up for that failure. Right. What is your favorite word? Hustle. <laughs> uh, which I knew, but lying and you can see why, right? Everything you're like, yes, yes. So um, con todo, yeah. So the the tagline for con todo press is anything is possible with hustle and heart, uh, and that's why my logo. If you've seen it, it's like a muscle. Yes, it's so cute. It. It's a hustle. It's like a, a muscle. I'm trying to flex here with the heart. You know what? I'm gonna get a little heart tattoo right here. <laughs> hey, it will go perfect. You're Legend. like, you're like, this is where it came from. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm wearing my logo <laughs> because, um, and the reason I merge those, anything is possible with hustle and heart, is because I feel um, a lot of times people hustle, but they hustle in vain, or they hustle for this. They just want the money, but they don't see the purpose. And I think that will lead you inevitably to failure or frustration, or sometimes you have a heart, you have a passion for something, but you don't act on it. So you need the hustle, right? Right. So you need both. You need the hustle and the heart. I love that. I really do. I love that. And when I saw that, I thought that was the cutest thing, but I realized like I didn't I was like, oh, I was thinking strong, but when you explain, I'm like, oh yeah, that totally just makes sense. What is a dream that scares you? Like a, like a nightmare type thing? Or what, no, like what do you, mean? you have this grand vision in your life oh, that's, God. Fair, that's scary. Nothing, nothing scares me. <laughs> love that you own that because somebody has said like I want somebody to just own completely that so I the fact that you just are like bring it on it doesn't scare me bring it on is awesome if I go to LA where are we going to eat and what am I having we are probably gonna go to Korean barbecue (laughs) I haven't had some good Korean barbecue in a while and there's one down the street of where I live and it's called Genoa and it's just amazing. I love how the Korean culture puts like so many dishes out for you, like so many appetizers and their appetizers are amazing and their appetizers are all you can eat. So I get full on their appetizers (laughs) before I even start eating. So yeah, Genoa Korean barbecue. Do you, is there anything else that you want to add before we close our interview? No, I mean, I just want to add that at Contodo Press, um, we have created free printables, downloadable coloring activity sheets for parents. Um, and each activity sheet is different from week to week. Some of them have uh, lessons in math. Some of them have history lessons from uh, the characters in our books. Uh, so I just invite people to go to contodopress.com. They're completely free and download the worksheets. It's like a, a free resource for parents right now that we're homeschooling and sometimes kind of need to get creative on how to entertain your kids. You can just print the the worksheets, hand them to your kids, tell them to color them. And if they're old enough to do the activities, do them too. Um, And to to please visit contodopress.com so they can learn more about the company, learn more about the books that, you know, that we have and hopefully subscribe to our email list so we can keep you up to date on the new projects that are coming and, discount codes and all of that good stuff. And we will be 
including all of that in the show notes. So Perfect. if people go straight to there, they can. One of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a the Fearless Trailblazers. Which oh, is you really bought cool. it? Yeah, I have, well, I have like the, the downloadable version. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but the cool thing is, so if anybody is, like I love how it just really kind of, it really goes from Carlos Santana to Lin-Manuel Miranda to like baseball players and scientists. And it really kind of goes through. And if anybody is a Hamilton fan, Lin-Manuel is in there and on Disney plus it's going to be coming out. So it's kind of a little good tie in. Yeah. So, <laughs> final question, because we always book and we start with wine. We end with wine. What is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a particular kind? Um, my favorite wine is red, and I love Malbecs. Mm, um, I love Malbecs, too. Yeah, I don't really have a brand that comes to mind. Um, I love San Antonio Winery here in Los Angeles because they've been very supportive on my projects. Yeah, definitely a good Malbec is, is, is amazing. Well, Naive, thank you so much for being on the Wine and Cheese Me podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm so excited to see, like, everything that Contodo Press is going to be coming up with, all of the new things. And I hope that, you know, I know that I have a lot of listeners who are moms too, who always want to seek different ways to be able to incorporate who they are and, and who we are as a culture into their kids' everyday life. So I think this is a really good way to do that. So thank, thank you, you so much. And until next time, mi gente. listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. As always, you can find resources to the discussion that we had, such as Naive Reynoso herself, Contola Press, and Latina Fest in the show notes. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels. You can reach me on Instagram at the Wine and Cheese and on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Wine and Cheese Podcast. I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese May, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.